Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is July the 29th, 2022, a Friday. That's not a secret, uh, but we've been doing a lot of conversation and books about secrecy, other people's dirty secrets, sometimes writers' dirty secrets. Beginning of the week, I did a really, I thought, really interesting conversation with Leah McLaren. She has written her own um, autobiography, her relationship with her mother. It's a book about the dirty secret of her mother and her mother's life and her relationship with her mother. It was a Fascinating conversation. She has a new book out, Where You End and I Begin. Um, and it reflects on her mother's dirty secret of having uh, sexual affairs uh, with uh, a man called the Horseman who beat her up. It's a, it was a very emotional conversation. Here we have Leah McLaren with her family and then Leah with her mother and grandmother. It was a non-fiction book. Ironically, both Leah and her mother are novelists and they compete in the right uh, in the writing of literature. We also did a show a few weeks ago with Alison Fairbrother, another novelist, written a book called The Catch, which is a fictional account of the secret life of the of of a man who is identified in the book as a father. It also might be non-fictional in the sense that Alison lost her father and was very close to her. We are this afternoon once again back on Dirty Secrets, but this time uh, fictional Dirty Secrets um, with my guest, Aggie Bloom Thompson, who is the author of All the Dirty Secrets. Aggie, is it? This new yes. book, your your new novel, um, your second novel, your first was very successful. Uh, I don't forgive you. Um, is it all fiction, or is there some fact in it? Is it built on um, real dirty secrets? Well, I would say it's always inspired by the truth. Um, I'm always listening and paying attention. I was a former police reporter. And so there's there are elements of truth in this book, even though it is it is entirely made up. How's that for an answer? Well, it's a secretive answer, shall we say. Um, what is it about secrets that make them so fascinating, particularly to crime writers and fictional writers like yourself? Well, I think uh, the thing that's so powerful about secrets is uh, when they are revealed, they have the ability to blow things up, right? To, sh to shed new light on people and relationships. And that's what makes them so powerful. Because uh, in my book, for example, the secrets are between people who thought they knew everything about each other. You know, people who have been friends since uh, high school up through adulthood and thought they knew absolutely everything about each other's lives. Well, we all have people like that in our lives that we're so close to, we think we know them inside and out. And if they told us some explosive secret uh, that could very well damage the relationship. And so that's what's so exciting about it. Aggie, do you think we ever really know anyone else? Do you think 
everyone watching this will think of a friend or a relative, a husband, a wife, a child who they think they know everything about. Do you think everybody has secrets? I, I've thought about that a lot. I think that most people have secrets, but they can be pretty minor. I remember a girlfriend of mine um, got drunk with me a few years ago and confessed her dirty little secret to me. And to be honest, I can't even remember it. It was so minor. I couldn't believe that was her secret. On the other hand, some people really do carry very dark secrets. Anybody who reads the newspaper, you know, you come across these stories of the, the nice neighbor who turns out he had a dead body in his backyard for the past 20 years. So I do think there is a percentage of the population that's carrying around some pretty dark stuff. As a former crime reporter and as, a, as he said, a, an acclaimed novelist now, your first book, I Don't Forgive You, was a big success. I expect this new book, All the Dirty Secrets, to be equally successful. Um, what's the relationship between fictional and non-fictional writing when it comes to digging into secrets, revealing dirty secrets? Well, the, I'll tell you the biggest difference for me, having been a police reporter and now writing fiction, is just you don't get to control things in the real world. You don't control endings. You don't get to make sure the bad guy gets arrested and locked up and put away. You don't get to make sure the victims are compensated or taken care of. You don't get to make sure justice is served. And it can be very frustrating. Anyone who's covered law enforcement knows what I'm talking about to, to cover a trial or a situation and have it turn out in a way that's really unsatisfying. And the great thing about writing fiction is you can write all the wrongs or at least address why they're not being righted at the end of your book. So... Aggie, you're talking to me from Bethesda, Maryland, the heart of uh, genteel America, shall we say. You, you look very genteel, but you were a, a crime reporter. Yeah. What drew you to reporting on crime? Do you have some criminal secrets in your family? Did you fantasize about crime or did you just happen to be put on that desk when you began oh, as no. a reporter? I've always been drawn to crime. I, When I was a kid, I used to love to read a true crime. I loved Anne Rule. I grew up in the 70s and 80s, and I was fascinated by things like Jim Jones and the, you know, cults and uh, serial killers. Long, I'm from Long Island. We have a history of quite a few great serial killers on Long Island. Uh, I grew up during Son of Sam in New York. So I was always fascinated, and I, I wanted to be on the police beat. And my first job was at a small southern city called Wilmington, North Carolina, and I was a a New York Jew down there. And that was a, kind of like a, it's almost like a sitcom. Um, it was really a fish out of water story. And I was the night cops reporter and I had a, my police scanner, this is back in the day. And I had to memorize all the 10 codes and listen, you know, for what was going on. And I'd race out of the newsroom and try to get to a crime scene before the cops got there. I did that twice. They don't like that. Um, but yeah, no, it was great going all over the city and reading incident reports and just kind of getting to know law enforcement. And it was a, it was really exciting. My wife's a lawyer and she always tells me that people harbor three kinds of secrets, sexual, gambling and drugs. Is mm -hmm. that fair or are there other kinds of secrets people keep? Other, other kind. I, I think that's, that's pretty good. Does, is money, the money's a big secret, I think. Right. People's inability to um, to hold on to it and spending other people's money. Um, I think one of the things that surprised me when I was a police reporter 
was how many incident reports were of of embezzling from businesses. It's boring, but apparently a lot of people steal from the places they work. So I think a lot of people. What do you like mean? Apparently, we all know that one, Aggie. Even I know that. I've never been a crime reporter. Yeah, people are. They, money makes people do insane things. So I, I throw money into that little mix. Although often that desire for money is driven by gambling or some other sort of addiction, isn't it? Yes, or wanting to live a lifestyle that you can't really afford, right? Wanting to present to the world a persona that costs a lot of money without actually earning it. Aki, why isn't everyone a crime writer? I mean, it really gets to the heart of things. We did a show last year, Kevin Birmingham, the the biographer of Dostoevsky, who wrote a wonderful book on Dostoevsky, The Sinner and the State, Dostoevsky and the Gentleman Murderer, who inspired a masterpiece. Yeah. The great writers, and, and I'm going to talk a little bit more later in this conversation about your own literary taste, but the great writers deal with crime. It's unavoidable, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. I mean, it gets to the human condition because we all have conflict in our lives. Most of our conflicts are pretty low level. And we're fascinated by crime because that's conflict taken to that next level. So many of us can read a story in the paper about the woman who who brains her husband with a frying pan because because many of us have been frustrated with our husbands, right? Right. So it's an exaggeration of the things we experience in our everyday life. And that's part of the reason it's so appealing and fascinating because it splits open where, you know, civility is, is, you know, is split wide open and people behave on this very base level. I don't want to give away the dirty secrets in all the dirty secrets because we want everyone to read the book. Uh, and of course, if all your secrets in the all the dirty secrets are given away. People won't. Um, but do you want to tantalize people a little bit with the plot? Tell people about what the book is about without giving away any of its secrets? Sure. It's what's called a dual timeline. So part of it takes place in 1994 and part of it takes place today. It's about a girl who goes missing during Beach Week in 1994. She drowns. And then her friends who are there are now adults today. And uh, one of her friends, Liza, is the protagonist. Her own daughter is going to the same prep school that she went to and is also going to Beach Week now. And another girl drowns. And her daughter becomes convinced these two deaths are connected and starts digging in. And Liza is very uncomfortable with her daughter shining a light on her prep school on and her group of friends who are now pretty powerful people in the DC area. So it's about privilege and class and sort of that tight uh, elite private school scene of DC. So justice is bound up or at least socioeconomic political justice. Are, are, Are there policemen or police women in the book? There are detectives, uh, on the Delaware shore who find the, dead body today and who are doing an investigation into the body. Yes. But it's not a police detective story per se. I know you're a big fan of Agatha Christie. Um, Apparently uh, outside the Bible, maybe that was written by God and Shakespeare, the most popular writer of all time. Uh, I love uh, Poirot. Why not make a a detective the heart of, of your narrative? First of all, I just want to say I'm team Miss Marple. I've always been a Miss Marple. Yeah. So yeah. you're not a Poirot person? I, I like Poirot, but I, I do really enjoy Miss Marple because she tends to be more in the background. Um, I would. I have thought about making a detective 
um, writing a detective series. And I very well may in the future. Right now, I'm kind of enjoying creating these upper middle class, idyllic uh, American kind of situations and just blowing them up, you know. Who was the writer? And maybe I'm wrong here, but there was a writer who said, you know, behind every nice Bethesda, Maryland family is a great crime. Do you remember who it was? Something I, I like that. I think you're thinking of, uh, it's not Voltaire, uh, Balzac, who said behind every great fortune is a crime. Right. And Balzac, of course, was a great writer on money and secrets, if not crime, although there was a great deal of criminality in his work. And I, I think there's something to what he says as well. Do you think you have to be a... I mean, we talked about Agatha Christie, who clearly was a rather odd character. She disappeared. She is as much a mystery as, as some of the characters in her book. If anything, I think she's more of a mystery than a, than a Poirot. But do you think you have to be a little bit warped to write brilliantly about crime? I know Patricia Highsmith is one of your favorite writers. Yeah, sure. I, I'm not sure if I would describe her as warped, but she was a, an unusual person. I think Absolutely. I mean, most crime writers that I know think about really terrible things maybe 15 hours out of the day. They think about murder, rape, kidnapping, arson, how to kill people in their sleep, what kinds of you know, murder weapons you can, you can use to get away with it. Uh, yeah, so I do, I do think it takes a certain mentality to be at the neighborhood picnic thinking who could get killed at this picnic and how could we get away with it? It's not just thinking about crime but thinking about criminals uh ripley's stranger on a train is a magnificent book about the psychology of criminals and of course yeah um tom ripley is one of the great characters in uh, in 20th century literature so it's not just thinking about crime it's thinking about criminals and the best books have complicated uh, villains or antagonists. My my father was a psychiatrist, and I really credit him with um, making regular conversation at our dinner table about sort of the workings of the mind and how complicated people are. He would always talk about people being on a spectrum because people like to identify those people and us. But my father always explained it as we're we're all on the same spectrum, and each of us are only just a few circumstances away from certain behaviors. So I, I agree that uh, that it's really important to be able to get into the heads of not just your main characters, but villains and quote unquote villains and antagonists or antiheroes like uh, Ripley. So you think, Aggie, we all have a little bit of the Tom Ripley in us or we would all like to have a little bit of the Ripley in us. I mean, he's a room. He was, at least in a fictional sense, a remarkable man. So cool, but also so lucky. I don't know. Yeah. whether he deserved to be so lucky. Um, I, uh, one of the things about Highsmith is she made a criminal a winner, which yeah. was a remarkable achievement. It, had, it required a lot of nerve. I think, to your earlier question, I think we're all a little more sociopathic than we'd like to believe, yes. And then, of course, coming back to Dostoevsky, you can turn sociopathy into a into a philosophy can't you absolutely i mean there's ayn rand saying greed is good there are all kinds of philosophies although i'm not sure if rand was encouraging crime or criminality well, it's like i said it's a spectrum right? it's a sliding scale you know caring about other people if that's a weakness right you can take that all the way to the end 
What about the role of religion and crime? I know another of your favorite writers is the English writer Graham Greene, the great Catholic writer, author of books like The End of the Affair, which is a perhaps the most Catholic of Catholic novels. Do you think to write well about, you mentioned earlier you were Jewish, but do you think to write well about crime, you need some experience, knowledge, and perhaps even belief in religion, one kind of monotheism or another? I don't know. I, I've never considered that. I do think what monotheism does, or I, let's just talk about the Judeo-Christian tradition, you know, which sets up this tremendous moral compass, the Ten Commandments, the concept of right and wrong, of eternal, you know, someone watching you eternally. These are all great things to keep in mind when you're a writer. I mean, if you're ever stumped and you really want to find, you know, the most horrific stories, you just turn to the Old Testament, to the Torah. Right, that's what I was thinking. Yeah. So, you know, we talk about... <laughs> I mean, we're talking, that's the original. Right. I mean, uh, Christy is, at least her website suggests that she's only been outsold by the Bible and Shakespeare. Shakespeare was also a crime writer in many ways. Yes, he was. I mean, many of his plays are horrifically violent. Uh, and as you say, that the Bible is one long crime story. Oh, it's, I mean, I, I do a, a, a Torah study and I'm, const, I'm consistently surprised when I get to certain stories of how vicious and violent and the, the, the rapes, the revenge, the murder, the massacres, it's relentless. What about God and crime? Do you think if there is a God, he or she might be intrigued by criminals? Do you think they might have a, a kind of respect for a Tom Ripley? Uh, that's not how I envision God, no. I don't think so. No. So what will happen to a Tom Ripley if there is a heaven and hell and he shows up? Will he be punished for his crimes? Well, I don't want to get in trouble here, but I don't actually believe in heaven and hell. So I think Tom Ripley is going to go the way we all go to, to the earthworms. What about American literature and crime? We've talked about Graham Greene. We've talked about Agatha Christie. Patricia, Patricia Highsmith was an American, but an American who chose to live overseas and sort of almost denied she her life was one long denial of her Americanness. Do you think American writers do crime well? Oh, absolutely. They do wonderful crime. And we have Laura Lippman, Dennis Lehane. I mean, I grew up reading Sue Grafton's Alphabet series. We have what sort of a renaissance going on right now with crime writers. There, there are so many good writers writing right now, especially in the thriller genre. What do you think of the... The true crime genre. We did a, a show with John Allure, for example, has a best-selling book out, Wish You Were Here, about the murder of her sister. What's the fascination with real crime in this country? It sort of crosses over fiction and nonfiction. It's really exploded in the past couple of years, hasn't it? I mean, it just seems to be everywhere. I think uh, podcasts and uh, documentaries have really, you know, made that happen. And I think part of it has to do with people um, imagining that this could happen to them and wanting to to see some kind of resolution. We don't see the, the real crime documentaries very often where there is no resolution, unfortunately, but there are a lot of those out there. I mean, when I was a police reporter, the first thing I did at my first job was sit down with the cold case detective and um, talk to him about, you know, what are, what, what's still open, what's still going on. And I remember he told me about a young woman who had been shot at a big block party. Uh, a lot of people saw it, but nobody would come forward with information. And I went and I, I tracked down her family and I sat down 
And I remember being really nervous that they wouldn't want to talk to me because it was in, in, invasive or intrusive, but the opposite was true. They brought me into their home. I spoke to them for hours um, and they were, were so eager to talk about their daughter who had died more than a year ago and just no leads. And I don't know if they ever got resolution to that case. And sadly, that's a pretty typical story. You don't see that in, in the mass media very often, but that is true. Maggie, we live in such a conspiratorial culture where everyone assumes everything is one kind of conspiracy or another in political, cultural, sexual terms. Yeah. It's almost as if books like yours, uh, all, all the Dirty Secrets, um, is revealing a world that people expect. It's, it's not shocking. There's nothing shocking now about crime literature, is there? Um. I think there's still there are still shocks to be had because, you know, the thing about all the dirty secrets and so many of the really good thrillers that are being written today, is they're not about large conspiracy theories. They're about these smaller conspiracies among friends or family or people who you wouldn't think capable of carrying on a conspiracy, people who you still would be surprised if they committed a crime. As a reporter, were you ever covering a story that you were just completely shocked, that you could never figure out why that person committed that crime, that it's still a mystery to you? Yeah, I mean, I was, uh, I covered the trial of the DC sniper shootings. I don't know if you're familiar with that. It um, rings a bell. Yeah, it was a, a, a man and a, a younger man, uh, Lee Boyd Malvo and John Muhammad, and, and they drove around. To the DC area and they would pull into gas stations and they would just randomly shoot people. Um, now there were theories as to why they did. I, I was covering the trial of the young man who um, was picked up by this older man at a, a homeless shelter out in Seattle and kind of brought on this, this rampage cross country. And there are theories as to why they did this. Um, although nothing's ever been proven, but it's, it was so horrific and it really terrorized the DC area for, for several weeks. Um, people were just, you know, horrified. They were there's afraid. An, uh, there's a Dostoevsky element there. Crime and punishment of just committing a crime because you can, almost in an existential sense. Yeah, I mean, there's there's talk that he did it because he eventually wanted to kill his wife, and he wanted it to look like this was part of this mass killing, and it wouldn't be connected to him. But that's, you know, you don't need to kill 15 other people. Uh, to kill your wife, as many people prove every day. So that was just, it, it just gripped the area in a, a reign of terror, you know, and especially when this young man was was on trial and you saw what his life was like. He had no reason to be involved in this. What about the role of violence in crime? We take for granted that crimes are violent, although very often, and certainly in classic crime novels like Christie, there's not a great deal of violence Paul Savino died this week, you know, the master of violence, at least on the screen. And there's a long tradition, Godfather and so on in American film and in literature. Um, how, how central in your view should or is violence to crime, to dirty, sec uh, to dirty secrets? There's a lot of violence in your book. I assume there's some. There is some. There is some. I mean, it's there's. There are a few on the page violence scenes, and then there's quite a bit of off page violence as well. And it, I should say that my book is dark and has 
I've been told. <laughs> yeah, you got a warning at the beginning. You say, um, and let me read this. I, I was rather amused. Um, yeah. uh, this story contains content that some readers might find disturbing, including yeah. sexual assault and references to death by suicide. Yes. Please read with care. That might encourage everybody to read the book. Well, in the, I sent out the book early for early readers, and the reaction was very strong from some readers that the violence in the middle of the book was came as such a shock and a surprise and was so upsetting that there ought to be a note. So there you go. Be forewarned, it is a thriller. There is violence. So, Do you think yeah. as a writer, as a fiction writer in particular, it's, it's as hard to write good violence as that is to write good sex? No, you can't write good sex. You can write great violence. I've read terrific, like Cormac McCarthy's The Road. I mean, you can write great violence. I have yet to read. Have you read really good sex? I mean, that's all. I find that. Why, just why do you think that is? Why can't we write good sex where we can write good violence? They're both yeah. acts that um, are I mean, unusual and secretive. But you could probably write about a sex sex that went terribly wrong and better than you could write about sex that went right because there's just something magical about sex it's not something you can capture in words i don't think it just becomes horrible as soon as you try to capture it in words there should be a just like there's a bad sex writing uh, award there should there be a good or a bad violence writing award there could be a good violence writing award because there is some very good violent writing. But what does it require to write well about violence? A sort of a, a, a clinical approach, a, a technical no, no. approach? No, just to take it seriously and not have it be cartoonish, right? I mean, the, the worst kind of violent writing is where you know this could never happen. This is not how people really behave, right? But, but when you write about violence, it's by definition, you're writing it for someone else unless you're doing yeah. a diary. So it's chilling. It's scary. You hope so. You try to make it chilling and scary. I mean, really, the anticipation of violence on the page is much scarier than the actual violence. Right? If you read Stephen King, if you read horror novelists, you know that the fear of what lies beyond the door is oftentimes scarier than what actually is behind the door. I think a lot of people are going to be watching this, Aggie, and thinking this woman's insane. All she does is think and write and talk about crime. But I think my neighbors cross the street when I'm walking. Yeah, your neighbors, you're going to get thrown out. of. of you're in this very nice Bethesda, Maryland neighborhood. You're going to get yeah. thrown out as this sociopath. Well, uh, but you, you do like um, some mainstream writers, too. I was yeah. intrigued that you're a big fan of E.M. Forster, who's not really a crime writer. What is yeah, it about Forster that you like? I, I think I love his descriptions. I love his relationships. I love his, his, his wry, light touch. I just think he's a wonderful writer. Did you learn much from him as a crime writer? I mean, you clearly borrowed some. I mean, everyone who reads Agatha Christie and is a crime writer must have borrowed something consciously or otherwise. But do you think you learned anything as a crime writer from Forster? I, if I, were I mean, there's secrets in his yeah. book too. I mean, he's not, they're not always as gentle as they sometimes seem. That's true. And Passage to India is a, has quite a bit of, you know, tumult in there um i think that what you learn from ian forrester is is what you should always learn is the story takes precedent you know relationships people take precedent if you don't care about the people you won't care about the story well finally i you're clearly a very well-read very literary crime writer you say that 
Um, when you want to cheer yourself up at the end of a bad day, you read Nora Ephron. What is yes. it about Ephron? She, again, not a really a crime writer, a, a, a comic writer. She's just so funny. She's so funny. She's so wry. She's so plain spoken. And um, she just reminds me, I don't have an aunt like this, but she reminds me of that aunt that just comes in and cuts through all the bullshit, excuse me, and this just tells it like it is. And, and I, I always am cheered up by Nora Ephron. Well, finally, Aggie, have you got any secret literary loves that you haven't revealed? Uh, yeah. I borrowed your appreciation from literature from your website and some of the interviews you've given. Is there anything that any writer that you really like that you've never told the world about as a final secret for this interview? Uh, I think, uh, are you familiar with the writer John Fonte? No. Yeah, he was a writer. He wrote in, in LA in the 30s. He's one of my favorite writers. He was sort of a pre-Bukowski writer. Um, he's ah. a wry um, LA writer, a terrific writer. Um, that's something that I don't talk about a lot because I never really have any reason to, but um, if you're a Bukowski fan, you should try John Fonte. And then well, those are all the Aggie, uh, uh, Aggie's uh, Bloom Thompson's All Her Dirty Secrets. She has a new book out, All the Dirty yeah. Secrets. It's a must read, Aggie. Yes. Well, and uh, I think probably most people watching this won't sleep tonight, but that's probably the purpose of your life, right? To uh, give us nightmares. Well, and to keep you up reading, you know, and, and I also want to say that if you're looking for some really good thrillers, these days, um, I strongly recommend um, Samantha Bailey's Watch Out for Her. It just came out. It's a Canadian bestseller. It's a terrific summer thrilling book. Um, and uh, Laura McHugh is another crime writer who writes today, who writes about sort of uh, part of America, rural America, kind of noir and rural, rural America that you don't read about a lot. She's a terrific writer too. Those are two recommendations I have.